We're going to be in the book of Judges this morning, so if you want to open up your Bible to Judges chapter 6, you are more than welcome to. Do you remember when your hero fell from his or her pedestal? Uh, For me, one of my heroes growing up was Magic Johnson, one of the best basketball players to ever play the game. I mean, the man knew where people were before they knew where they were themselves and would get the ball to them and just make some of these amazing, incredible passes. Um, Just a, a, a whiz at the game. But I remember in 1991, I was, I was 10 years old, and Magic Johnson held this, this press conference and got up in front of people and announced that he had contracted HIV. And for me, that broke my heart and crumbled, not just because of the HIV itself, but because of the fact that he got it because he was sleeping around. You know, And here was someone that I had looked up to and he just crumbled. And so your story might be a little different and your hero might be a little different, but, but maybe you can think back and remember someone that you looked up to or, or someone that, that was your hero that fell off of his or her pedestal. It can absolutely be crushing. Though it's a good reminder that, that all of us are sinners, it's so hard not to be cynical after that. You know, after looking up to someone and watching them fall off their pedestal, like, why bother looking up to people anymore at all? It definitely, though, gave me a, a different outlook and approach to idolizing people. And I was much more hesitant to do so and much more carefully selecting. But it also gave me perspective for when others look up to me as well, which... Everyone does physically, but uh, yeah, we had to get that out there, right? Uh, (laughs) But biblically, it's easy to to hold people up as well. I mean, you think of Paul, John, Peter, Moses, Abraham, Daniel. The list goes on and on of people in the Bible that we look at and go, wow, they're just amazing. Amazing. And even as we're going through the book of Judges, it's easy to hold up these judges on a pedestal. In fact, in Hebrews 11, it says this, and I love that most of this list is out of the book of Judges. And what more shall I say? This is out of the hall of faith. For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Wow! How can you not hold these people up and go, wow, Like, look at the amazing things that they did. But I love that the Bible doesn't leave them up there on those pedestals. Though it doesn't say anything about Samuel sinning, and we know he did because we all do. But Barak didn't fully trust God, which we talked about last week. Samson caved to the wiles of a woman. Jephthah made a foolish vow that cost him the life of his daughter. 
David committed adultery and murder. And today, we're going to look at Gideon as well. But it takes these men and the things that they accomplished and and puts them where they need to be. The title of this morning is simply, See Jesus. When we look at Scripture, we should always be looking for Jesus. Because the Bible isn't a collection of stories about people. Rather, the Bible is all about Jesus. I love the one-way, our our children's ministry, I love the curriculum that they use. Uh, They use the gospel story curriculum. And what I love is that it's all about Jesus. So the kids go through and, and, and look at these different stories from the Bible. But every Old Testament story that they look at ends up pointing to Jesus. And takes that story and says, here's how we see Jesus in this story. Here's how we see Jesus in this story. And every New Testament story points back to the cross as the focus. I just, I love it. Now, we could easily title every single sermon, See Jesus, right? Because the whole Bible is about Jesus. But I I specifically chose it for this sermon because the concept of seeing Jesus is particularly evident in Gideon's story. So we're going to dive in and look at that together. But before we do, let me just open us up with some prayer. God, even as I breathe right now, just reminded by the song that we sang that it's your breath in my lungs. And every breath that I take is because you choose to allow it is because you have something for me to be doing for your sake, for your kingdom. And so, God, as we dive into your word, let us see you. Because not only is all of Scripture about you, but all of life is about you. And so, Lord, as we dive in, let that be our focus Let that be our desire, our heart, and our passion. God, open our eyes to what you need us to hear this morning. And open our hearts to receive it. And open our minds to remember it. Walk out and change. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. So Judges chapter 6. And uh, there's some notes, blanks for you to fill in. If you're using the Bible uh, in the seat in front of you, it's page 176. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that one home. We'd love for you to have it. But Judges chapter 6 is where we're starting and where we pick up with the story of Gideon. And your first blank fill-in is that Gideon was nothing on his own. Gideon was nothing on his own. And I want to start, just as I did in looking at that hall of faith where we could easily hold up those other people, the Bible brings them down and reminds us, look, they're all sinners. They all fail. And so I wanted to start by just putting Gideon where he belongs. Gideon was nothing on his own. Uh, First of all, he was a wimp. 
But before that, let me just kind of set up where we are. Judges 6.1, it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. So here we are back in our cycle. Uh, and as we've been going through the book of Judges, we've, we've continued to point back to the fact that, that there's this cycle that continues to happen. That the Israelites sin, and then God hands them over, and so they're in control of some other people. And then the Israelites realize their sin, and they cry out to God for help. And then God comes and rescues them by sending a judge. And then there's, they come back to the Lord and repent, and there's peace. And then, guess what? They sin again. They sin again. They sin again. And there's this continual cycle. So here we are restarting the cycle. Last week we looked at, at Deborah coming in and, and, and saving. And you can see the, the verse right before it says, And the land had rest for 40 years. But then the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And what was going on is uh, the Midianites and the Amalekites uh, were oppressing the Israelites and taking their crops. And, and so every year at harvest season, the, the Israelites had this fear that, you know, okay, here come the Amalekites and the Midianites and they're going to take our crops. Like, what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? And so the Israelites kind of went up into the hills and, and, and built these caves and so they could kind of like hide themselves, hide their food so that they could survive. So they were in this mode of like kind of hiding and sneaking around. Uh, verse 7, we see their cry out to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So even before God sends the judge, Gideon, he sends a prophet to remind them. Like they're crying out, Lord, Lord, please. And he sends a prophet and says, you guys are screwing up. Let me remind you why you are in this oppression. All right. So that's the setup. That's the story. That's where we are. Enter Gideon. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. I love these words. Uh, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Okay? So, so here's Gideon, and he's using a wine press to beat out and sift wheat because he's trying to hide this food from the Midianites and the Amalekites, right? So he's there, like, being all sneaky. Oh, I hope they don't come. Oh, oh my goodness. Was that a rock? You know, what's going on? You know, like, he's terrified. He's afraid, right? And he's, he's, he's doing this and being sneaky because he's afraid that someone's going to come and, and, and take his food. <laughs> and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. <laughs> No, he's not. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, he's here he's being all mousy and hiding and, like, absolutely terrified. 
And the angel calls him mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. And so Gideon responds by whining, oh, we don't have food and we're afraid and why is this going on? And we pick it up in verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. See, the Bible's hilarious. I love it. Go in this might of yours. Do not I send you? And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. See, even Gideon knows that he's a wimp. Right? He identifies himself. Like, you, you sure, sure about me? And then, I mean, just to add to the fact that he's a wimp. So, we're going to come back to the rest of this interaction. But later, in verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the, seven, uh, and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. These are two idols that the people were worshiping. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah so that you, that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So sure, he did what God had asked, but he did it in the cover of night. Gideon was a wimp. He was a wimp. Second, uh, Gideon needed reassurance. We're all familiar with Gideon and the fleece and the two askings. Uh, this is in Judges 6, 36 to 40. It says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed out the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, because that wasn't good enough, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So that's two counts of God's reassurance to Gideon. Gideon, you want to know that I'm with you? Let me give you reassurance. That first time wasn't enough? Great, let me give you more reassurance. But oh, there's more. There's so much more. In fact, before either of these happened, he asked for more reassurance from God. Flip back to this interaction that he's having with the angel uh, and look at verse 17. Gideon says to him, If I now have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. So here in his first interaction, with this, when this angel shows up and calls him a mighty man of valor, which he totally isn't, here he asks for a sign. And so he brings out food to this angel, who at the time he didn't know that it was an angel. And the angel touches the food with the tip of his staff, and the food is immediately consumed by fire that comes up out of the rock that the food was sitting on, and the angel vanishes in front of his sight. 
And, and here's his response in verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that that was an angel of the Lord. Ding! Duh! Hello! Come on, Gideon! You know, so, so that's his conclusion, right? And so he's had this reassurance from God, but apparently that wasn't enough because then he has to go and he has to ask for this fleece thing twice. But not even that was enough. Because now Gideon has his army and he's ready to go into the enemy camp. And uh, we're going to talk about the size of his army and all that kind of stuff in, in just a minute. But here the army goes from, from 32,000 down to 10,000 down to 300. And in Judges 7, verse 10, God says this to Gideon. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then Gideon went down with Pira his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And so he goes down and he hears these two guys talking, these two Midianites, and one of them had this dream, and the other one interprets it and says, oh, that means that this guy Gideon is going to come and wipe us all out. So these two Midianites are realizing that this guy Gideon is going to come and wipe them all out. And Gideon gets to hear that and not be discovered, and so now he's got this extra confidence. But you see, it took four different instances of reassurance from God to give Gideon the strength to do what he needed. So on his own, he was nothing. He was a wimp. He needed reassurance. And also, Gideon was a sinner. In Judges 8, after the defeat of the Midianites, and I know I'm giving this story away, but I'm sure most of you know how it ends. We pick up some of his story in verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Love his heart. Love it. And Gideon was really faithful uh, for most of the story. But, and Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, about 40 to 75 pounds, somewhere in there. Beside the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it, and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. This man was doing so well, and he gets tripped up by money and whored after it. Now we don't even know the details of his downfall. What that means, that it was a snare to him. Just that it got in his way, and it became a snare. And that takes me to Proverbs chapter 5, which says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast 
in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Again, we don't know exactly what happened, but Gideon was ensnared. Gideon was trapped by his sin and by his greed, and he fell. So Gideon was nothing on his own. But here's your next blank fill-in. Is that we see Jesus in Gideon's victories. See, Gideon was a nothing without God. He was a nothing. He needed God to step in so that he could do the miraculous. And it's so important to start with who Gideon is, to realize that these amazing things that he did were not his own doing. So, like we read back in chapter 6, we have the, the destruction of the, the Baal and the, the Asherah idols. And we know how scared he was. And even though it was done in the cover of night, he did it. And it was such a big deal that he went and he cut down these idols, that the people got upset and were ready to come after him and kill him. And his dad stepped in and said, Hold up. If Baal is real, let Baal deal with Gideon. And Gideon's name was actually changed. And they started calling him uh, Jerubbaal. Jerubbaal, however you want to pronounce it. But it means one who contends with Baal. So it had to be God working through Gideon to give him the strength to defeat and to knock down these idols. But then Gideon goes and and fights against the Midianite army. Now, I'm a visual learner, and I'm also a numbers guy. If you don't know, I majored in math. So we're going to do some fun with numbers and, and, and visuals, okay? So we can see the difference between the two armies to give you a little picture of what Gideon was up against. The Midianite army consisted of roughly 135,000 men. Okay, Each little person is 100 people. Okay, And yes, there are 1,350 little guys up there. Okay, So that's the Midianite army. And that's what they're up against and that's, that's who's there ready to fight. So Gideon goes out, blows his trumpet, and says, Hey, Israel, we need to fight against this army. Who's with me? And he gathers up as many people as he can. And he gets a total of 32,000. Okay? So, so here's Gideon's army against the Midianite army. Already looks like insurmountable odds. But then, Judges 7-2 God says this to Gideon. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. God's looking at the odds and going, If you guys win, you can take the credit. You can say, Hey, we we did pretty good. I mean, we fought, you know, small, big, and, and we beat them. And and we did a great job. So he says to Gideon, send everyone home who's afraid. Anyone that says, yep, I'm afraid, send them home. So 
22,000 go home. And we're left with 10,000. 10,000 men. Then God says, nope, nope, nope. Still too many. And so they do this like this drinking exercise, right? And so what ends up happening is 9,700 were asked to go home because they didn't drink a certain way. And 300 were left. See, I, I like looking at that. A, because I'm a numbers guy and I know it's accurate. Uh, but B, because I go, okay, this had to be God. You know, and, and we, we always hear the story, right? But it was so good to just go through the exercise of, of staring at the numbers and going, wow, that against that. And they were victorious. Do you see Jesus here? I sure do. Now, what happens after that is, so they have this victory, and what happens is the, the Midianites, they, they get all confused and they start fighting against each other. And they're killing each other. And so there's this whole battle going on, but it's them against them. And so they're kind of doing the job for Gideon and the Israelites. And a huge chunk of the army is wiped out. But there's still some around, and they start running away because they're afraid, and Gideon and his 300 men pursue them. Now, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal anymore, but here's the numbers still. So 120,000 of them died in the battle. But there were still 15,000 left. So there's still a huge chunk that these 300 men are pursuing and coming after. And they end up dispersing the rest of them and capturing their kings. So again, it had to be God working through Gideon. It had to be. So we see Jesus in Gideon's victories. But I think the biggest victory was the moral victory that we read earlier. But I'll read again in chapter 8, verse 23. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon could have very easily let the glory go to his head. But he didn't. He could have very easily said, like, wow, like, look at what I did. But thankfully, he had the wisdom to know, no, that wasn't me. But it was God. As we've been going through these judges, we've been looking at two different exhibits. In exhibit A, we have a trophy. Because exhibit A is the glory going to man. Glory going to Gideon. Glory going going to others. The glory going to myself. In Exhibit B, we have a Bible, which is representative of the glory going to God. Now, some gave more weight to Gideon. 
and said, hey, it's, it's all about him and less weight to God. But there are others that had it the other way around. And so I could easily put it either way, but what I'm going to do, just so that we have it and so that we're looking at how it should be, is that the greater weight should be given to God in His glory. Gideon and others gave more weight to God. They must have. 300 against that many. They had to be trusting in God. So what about us? How do we tip the scale in the right direction? Two things. First of all, look for Jesus in others. Look for Jesus in others. People are people. And though it's great to celebrate others' successes, remember who they are without Jesus. They're nothing. I was at a conference not too long ago, and Francis Chan came and spoke, author of Crazy Love, a number of other books, very well-known author. And there were uh, just a couple hundred people there, so not very many. So I was like, ooh, I can meet Francis Chan. And I had my book with me, and I was like, I'm going to get him to sign it, and we're going to take a picture together, and oh, it's Francis Chan. And but I was, I was kind of wrestling about it beforehand. I was, I was even talking to Laura. I'm like, but he's just a guy. But, like, but it's Francis Chan. You know, and I was kind of going back and forth on, like, do I do this? Do I not? So I brought the book with me. And he gets up there. And he starts speaking. And he opens with this prayer. And, and, and in the prayer, he prayed that if his preaching was ever becoming about him, that God would remove him from ministry and put someone else in his place so that the glory would continue to go to God and not to him. I'm like, yeah, probably shouldn't go up and ask him to sign my book at this point, right? And, uh, you know, thankfully I I didn't get the opportunity to, and and part of that was God stepping in the way and just reminding me, Ben, he's, he's just a guy. You know, sure, he's got a lot of wisdom, and God is using him in amazing ways. But his desire is that people see Jesus and not him. There are some major tripping points that I was kind of thinking about and and just thinking about us and and, and where we can easily fall into this trap in, in, in holding up others or, you know, putting them on pedestals they shouldn't be on. Uh, Christian athletes, we like to put them up there. Wow, like they're, they're playing sports and they love Jesus. Well, guess what? You know, they're sinners and they make mistakes. Speakers, pastors, people like Francis Chan, Matt Chandler, Tim Keller, even nobodies like Dave and myself. We're just people and we make mistakes. And I know that these people want you to see Jesus and not them, to not idolize and hold them up. And candidates as well. As we're going through and and trying to pick a new president, it's easy to get wrapped up into a candidate and who they are, and wow, they said this, and wow, they're doing this, and aren't they so amazing, and wow, they've got these great ideas, and wow, they're just phenomenal. 
Yes, it's important to, to have people to look up to, but we have to remember that they're human and that they make mistakes as well. And most importantly, we remember that they are who they are because of the work of Jesus in their lives. Right now, we're going through the book of 1 Timothy as a youth group. In 1 Timothy 1, uh, verses 12 through 16, it says this, because Paul got this idea in spades. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And it's so easy to look up to Paul and go, wow, like what a great man of God. But look at where he came from. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Ready for the kicker? The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in Him for eternal life. See, Paul recognized that he is who he is only because of the grace and mercy of God. Only because of God stepping in was Paul able to do what he did. There are a few friends of mine that I am so thrilled to have seen God's transformation in their life. And it's amazing to see who they were without Christ and to see who they are with Christ and to see the radical difference and go, man, that change could not have been them because I knew who they were beforehand. It had to be God stepping in and radically changing their lives. And so, all that to say, we need to be looking for Jesus in others. Not holding others up to, to this high standard, to this high pedestal, but realize that they are who they are because of Jesus and what he did in their life. Finally, let people see Jesus in I left that blank so that you could put your name in there. Let people see Jesus in you. Let people see Jesus in you, Michael. In you, Ron. Let people see Jesus in you. We need to realize the same thing that Paul did. That you are who you are because of what Christ did in you. So the credit needs to go to Him, not you. Last night I, I read the story of Gideon to my boys out of this. Let me read you the last paragraph, how they sum it up. Because remember, they take every story and point it back to Jesus. Did you know that we are saved by God's grace today? Just like Israel was in Gideon's day. God saved Israel with only 300 men so that they could see it was by God's grace, not their own work. 
They could not boast in their own efforts. Our salvation comes when we, like Gideon, believe in God's plan to save us. We can't do it by our own work either. None of us can boast and say, I saved myself. The Apostle Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Even with us, God gets all the credit. Even with us, God gets all the credit. I love that. So the amazing things that you do, the gifts that you have, are for His glory. When I started out as a youth pastor over a decade ago, I came in just overconfident in some of my gifts and skills. I shouldn't have been, but I, I had led worship a, a lot before, so I was confident in my worship leading. I was confident in my ability to, to plan events uh, and games and stuff like that. I was confident in my ability in, in hanging out with students. But I was not confident in my teaching ability. I came in going, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to put together lessons and sermons. And even to this day, like I'm still blown away that God uses me in that way. And I'm confident, and I know because I know where I came from, that it's him working through me and not my own gifting. By the way, parents, if you don't have one of these, uh, we've got some, and you can buy one. Um, so come talk to me after. I have one of these at home and, and just love it. But it, it, it merges right with uh, what they're doing in, in children's ministry. Um, but yeah, come see me if you'd like to buy one. Um, let people see Jesus in you. Paul, uh, oh, there it was. Paul said it this way. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who do you want people to see? When they look at you, who do you want people to see? Uh, Jim Caviezel is an actor. He was a devout Catholic, still is, uh, and he played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. Three years before he was offered the part, he felt like his prayer life needed to change said this, something in me was saying, you've got to get ready now. It forced me to pray a prayer I've never done before. I do not want people to see me. I want them to see Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I watch that movie, I don't see Jim Caviezel. I see Jesus. Sure, we don't know exactly what Jesus may have looked like physically, but I see Jesus' heart. I see Jesus' love for people. I see His willingness to sacrifice for me. I see His love. Jim Caviezel's prayer was answered. So how do you show off Jesus? 
How do you show off Jesus at church? Coming and bringing the gifts and the talents that you have and saying, God, I want you to get the credit for this. I want to come and I want to take uh, what you've given me and I want to use it for your glory. How do you show off Jesus at work? And let people see Jesus in you. How do you show off Jesus at school? How do you show off Jesus with your neighbors? How do you show him off with your family? How do you allow Jesus to take center stage? This whole concept uh, gives a little bit new meaning to Philippians 1.21, doesn't it? For me to live is Christ. For me to live is not me. For me to live is not so that I can get a pat on the back, so that I can get the glory. But for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Are you tipping the scales in the right way? Where God is getting the glory instead of you. Now, does that mean that you can't say thanks or, or great job? You can't say thanks when someone congratulates you. Hey, great job. Yes, say thank you. Does that mean you should avoid any kind of trophies at all? Probably throw them all away? No. But remember where those trophies are coming from. From your God who gave you all of these abilities. And he gave you those abilities so the glory could go back to him. He saved you so that people could see him. So that they could see Jesus. Because that's what this life is all about. Amen? Amen. It's all about you. Jesus. It has to be. So forgive me for the times when I make it about myself. Forgive me for the times when I try to take the credit. When I get excited when someone pats me on the back and says, hey, great job. And I become proud or arrogant of what I can do. (laughs) Because, Lord, you know who I am on the inside. You know what I'm capable of on my own. And just like Gideon, I am nothing on my own. I'm nothing. I can only do what I do because of you. So Lord, please, continue to be the shining light in my life so that when people look at me, they don't see me.